Welcome to Women Who Protect, a series within the Ontic Protective Intelligence podcast. In a profession largely dominated by men, we spotlight women working in a wide range of positions within security, protection, and law enforcement. We'll hear their stories, discuss their accomplishments, and get their advice for women and girls who may be interested in a career in protection or security. I'm Dr. Marisa Randazzo with Ontic Center for Connected Intelligence. After nearly three decades of experience working in security and protection, first at the U.S. Secret Service, and then in the private sector, providing security guidance to corporations, educational institutions, and high-profile individuals, I know firsthand the immense value that women bring to this field, and I know the challenges that we face. I look forward to sharing the stories of women who protect and hope they inspire other women and girls to join our ranks. Now, on to the podcast. Mary Eileen Parody has over 30 years of experience in law enforcement, private sector retail security, higher education public safety, and emergency management. She currently serves as the Chief of Police and Executive Director of Public Safety for the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Prior to her current role, Chief Parody led security for the University of Marymount and the George Washington University in the Washington, D.C. area. In addition to higher education, she has worked in museums, in hospitality, in retail, and was a sworn member of the Chicago Police Department's intelligence section for over 11 years. Chief Parody, welcome to Women Who Protect. I'm super excited to be here, Dr. Randazzo. We've been working together for a long time, um, and I've learned so much from you, and I admire you. Uh, right back at you. I mean, you and I go back years and years and years, and, and I'm so excited I get a, a chance to talk to you more formally in this format. I want to start out for our listeners. Just let's, um, I'd love to hear how you got into law enforcement and, and security in the first place. Take us back. When did you first start? Well, I started my career in 1986 as a Chicago police officer. I'm the fourth generation Chicago police officer. My great-grandfather, my grandfather, both from Ireland, and then my father, and I was fourth generation, but I was the first female in our family to join the police department. So tell us about your current role at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. It's a unique role. I was recruited here in July two years ago to come down, and it's a combination of higher education and healthcare. And the healthcare part of it is really unique because we're the only trauma one center in the state of Mississippi. We have four helicopters that travel all over Mississippi and the surrounding states to bring us some of the sickest people that come to Mississippi. Um, so that's unique in itself. And our we have an adult ER and a children's ER, and we see hundreds of thousands of people in our emergency department. We also are the second largest employer in the state The uniqueness is we have seven medical schools on the campus, and we're right in the heart of Jackson, Mississippi. The higher ed part is majority of 
graduate students, medical students, our only undergrad are our nursing students. And so it, it brings a uniqueness, but I'm familiar with higher education, Leary compliance, Title IX from other institutions I've served at. So the, the higher ed was easy. I had a little hiccup of the learning about the medical field, which has brought another uniqueness to my career. The workplace violence that we see in healthcare is extremely critical. So I've had to kind of, throughout my career, I've had opportunities to kind of change my methodology. And here in Jackson, Mississippi, I have customers that are coming that are patients, residents that are working with those patients that are also students. So it's a really, really unique situation, a challenging one, but a very rewarding situation. As you were ticking through all of these different aspects of your current position, it, it, it strikes me as this feels like the culmination of all the different experiences that you've you have had throughout your professional career. So you've got a workplace violence aspect, as you were talking about, being the, the among the largest employers. You've got healthcare safety, and 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 we know, especially coming out of a couple of years of, of pandemic conditions, that the level of violence directed at healthcare professionals is higher than it's ever been. Um, it, you've got a, a higher education, but higher education that's largely around graduate students and professional students, which which for those of us who have worked in higher education, safety, and security is an additional layer of complexity compared to dealing with just undergrads. You've got a city environment with crime in the areas. You've, you've got um, very, very ill patients. If this is the place where, where throughout the state that, that the sickest um, patients are often brought. I, I can't imagine what, what it's like for you on a day-to-day -day basis, but I would love to just hear just a, just a snippet of what's a typical day like for you there? interesting that you should ask. Um, so we, on a, on a typical morning, I may enter into um, the campus and I have five gunshot victims in the ER. Sometimes they come in at the same time because it's all related to one incident. Um, a helicopter's landing on the roof for a neonatal child that needs to get rushed to the neonatal section. Um, that's just like the, the healthcare side of it. But then we also have 10,000 employees coming and going right in the heart of Jackson, Mississippi, which the crime is very high in Jackson right now, as it is in most metropolitan cities. But I have great partnerships. I just recently signed a memorandum of understanding with the Capitol Police here in Jackson. So those investigations of gunshot victims or domestic violence, those patients come to my ER. That also brings the investigator portion of it that works with my team. So whether it be a human trafficking case, a, a domestic violence, a gunshot wound, all of those outs, outliers that are outside of the city of Jackson come with different police investigators and they work with my internal team to develop, uh, to be able to interview a witness, to interview a victim. So we work with all of the jurisdictions around the state. And then we also have the partnership with the Capitol Police who have jurisdiction throughout the state. That it, 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 
it's amazing because you just added yet another level of complexity as, as you were describing the memorandum of understanding that you just entered into. So that not only are you looking at investigations internally or investigations that may be impacting your employees from a workplace violence standpoint, but you have patients there that you're, that, that the employees at the University of Mississippi Medical Center are treating who they themselves may be part of an active investigation involving other law enforcement. And so you've got to facilitate that or, or you've got an internal capacity to, to help with that as well. Well, and, and Dr. Randazzo, you know what's cool about it is I started as a big city police officer. So I understand what a metropolitan city has as relating to crime, community policing, and that aspect. And then when I ventured into my, you know, I was mar- married, I am married to a Secret Service agent. That's what brought us to Washington, D.C. And I thought, wow, I have a lot of years experience. Do I want to start again on another police department? We thought we'd only be in D.C. for four years and I'd go back (laughs) to Chicago and finish out my career. Well, as luck would have it, I had the big city policing. Private sector was really interested in me. And so I was very marketable in the D.C. metro uh, market for public safety. Um, And I became a public safety director at one of the largest shopping centers in the United States. And we all know those to be soft targets. I employed the Fairfax County Police. Um, I had a very large security team and a customer service team. So talk about a pivotal time in your career going from being the police in a uh, metropolitan city to a for-profit institution and the high offering the highest level of customer service to our tenants and our customers was a big transition. That's not what I learned in the police academy. But I, <laughs> right. I'm telling you, but I believe it helped me in business as I went through my career. And not only um, was I working with the police, I also built a substation in the shopping center for the Fairfax County Police. So then I had to work with local government and get support of the owners of the shopping center and local government to bring the police and have them have a storefront in the shopping center. That in itself was a huge uplift and we were very successful with it. I did it in Fairfax County and then up in Montgomery County in Maryland because I had done it in Fairfax County. So I was able to work in in private sector, but with the police. And I would never have been able to accomplish what I did if I hadn't been the police first. It's really interesting to hear that foundational element, but but also as you acknowledge it, what a different world it was having gone from urban city policing to private sector security. With with I mean, really, your your constituents are very different. The skills may be applicable in different ways, but, but dealing with such a different constituency, I I can imagine that might've been challenging as you, as you made that transition. Well, you also brought capital with you. So when I was dealing with two very good police departments in Virginia and Maryland, um, Montgomery County police and Fairfax County police, having been a Chicago police officer and an intelligence investigator for many years, I walked into that arena with a lot of confidence yeah, and, and that I, I want to get back to that aspect of it in uh, in a little bit as we talk about advice for women and girls. But I feel like one of the things that I've just seen as as an as an outside fan of yours for years, and and then as a as a close colleague, um, is that you have an incredible gift for developing, uh, cultivating, and maintaining 
great liaison relationships within your department across other agencies with you know like um, entities uh, with um, you know necessary community partners as you were talking just in the beginning about the the memorandum of understanding you just signed with Capitol Police within uh, within Jackson it feels like that's another example of that so I want I want to just throw a question out here of, of how do you see the value of relationships? Is this something that you that comes by naturally for you? Is it intentional as as you do this in the course of your work? How important are relationships to you? I'm going to give you a two part answer on that. One in 1989, a really really creative man on the police department who later became um, the chief of police in Washington D.C., Charles Ramsey, he developed the Chicago's alternative policing strategy in the city of Chicago. It was called CAPS. It was one of the first community policing um, initiatives in the United States. And I was part of the pilot program there. Oh, wow. Now, my father was on the job at the same time, and he did not really, as I would say, drink the Kool-Aid right away, nor did his, um, you know, officers of his generation. Well, I I drank the whole glass and I um, was like, this is going to work because we get to use other resources in our policing. Oftentimes, as a police officer, you're called to a situation that you really have no control over. It's not a law enforcement call, but they call the police because the police are there 24 seven and will come and work through a problem with them. And oftentimes it's, we really needed the sewer department or streets and sanitation or one of the other departments in the city to solve that customer's problem. It wasn't really a police matter, yet we didn't have that in our Rolodex. We weren't able to talk to those agencies. So you were kind of there puzzled. You know, you're trained in the police academy to handle crime and to stop the threat, but you're not really, you know, you don't know where the sewers go or how do you right. set up a curb or something. So I, I, as I said, drank the Kool-Aid and I was really interested in how do you intertwine all of these different departments to get a successful result? So that's where I think my foundation came from. And then 9-11 happened. And if we learned anything from 9-11, it was we were all siloed and not talking to each other. And so if you ever have taken uh, any of those strength finder tests my number one strength is communication. Ugh. And I think that that is my drive to communicate and to share information with folks in my arena, in my neighborhood, in my community. And I believe that that has led me to a successful career. That's uh, so I love the strength finder test aspect, but I did not know that about you, that you had worked under Charles Ramsey. And I also did not know that that his department or that pilot program was one of the first community policing efforts around the country because community policing is is now so well regarded it's not funded nearly enough as it, as it used to be and as it should be in my personal editorial opinion but it is such a, a great approach to policing that really draws from the strengths of a community and people from a community to, to then serve as you were saying not just in that enforcement role but in that support role that law enforcement can do so well so um, I've learned something new about you today which I'm excited excited <laughs> about you know dr randezzo community policing is it's kind of cyclical it was really hip in the late 80s and 90s and then it kind of went on the back burner and it's come back and forth a few times but i i take it as a different perspective of we just don't go out in the community nowadays in modern days policing or 21st century policing we really have to be the community 
be in, intertwined with the community, not be the police that just show up in the community. We have to be part of our communities. And I found that to be a, a really successful avenue that I've pursued here in my new position for the last two years in Jackson, Mississippi. My team is engaged with everything in the community. The community trusts us and we're transparent with the community. Tell me more about that because I want to hear an example of how how is your team involved in the community? Well, we do a lot of volunteer programs. We The university has the Jackson Free Clinic. So the Jackson Free Clinic is right in the heart of Jackson. It was started 20 years ago by medical students. So anybody can come to the Jackson Free Clinic and receive medical care, dental care um, with no insurance. Um, they pay nothing and the students treat them. It is a phenomenal olive branch from the UMMC community. We are there every Saturday to provide the um, healthcare to the community members and the police department partners with the folks that are coming there. We've set up um, car seat exchanges, teaching people how to put a car seat. A lot of times people don't have the means for healthcare. They don't own an automobile, but they have small children. And they have to take them in Ubers or Lyfts mm. or other folks' cars. My concern, I always say the hardest job in my entire life was putting the car seat in for my children. <gasps> and I hated it. And I never wanted to move the car seat. I would just vacuum around it because it's the worst job in the whole world. And so as a parent, I said, why don't we see if we can get some car seats and teach folks how to move them from car to car? And so we do that on a Saturday or Sunday with the um, customers of the Jackson Free Clinic and teach them. So that's one of the ways that we give back to the community. The other things are we had the Special Olympic Torch Run here yesterday in Mississippi before it goes over to Berlin. So we brought Special Olympians onto our campus and my folks ran with them. Um, one of the Special Olympians carried the torch. It was very cool. So constantly we're looking for outreach programs. Um, we work with Project Search. Within our department, we have um, a, a student with disabilities that was an intern with us this spring. Every opportunity that I can get to embrace the community, my team is on board with me 100%. That is that is such a, a powerful illustration of um, community policing in its best definition of seeking out opportunities, going at you know, <laughs> away from your desk, not only in into the the community you're serving directly, but out into that broader community with with resources and thinking about what else can we do to 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 help the fellow members of our community. This it, it is an amazing example. And and I was going to save this till the end, but I will tell you right now, Chief, I hope you write a book someday because <laughs> you have such incredible stories and experience and passion for this work that I have seen you take into to all the different aspects of, of the roles you've had across your career. So please, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm signing up now for, to pre-order. So please, please. <laughs> Thank you very <laughs> much. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about Ontic Center for Connected Intelligence. In the world of safety, security, and protection, we know that sharing information is crucial. That's why we created the Ontic Center for Connected Intelligence. The center is a hub for the ongoing exchange of security strategies and best practices, insights on current and past trends, and sharing valuable information through expert discussion and analysis. 
It's made up of subject matter experts with decades of experience across a wide range of disciplines. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. first want to ask you about the, the biggest turning point in your career and then get to, to what's most rewarding. So thinking back, what was the, the biggest turning point for you in your career? Well, I kind of touched on it earlier. And the biggest turning point was learning, coming from being trained to be the police. And we were pretty much back in my time in Chicago, a zero tolerance police department. And so we, we were often telling people what to do. When I transitioned into private sector, and then back into police work. In private sector, I had to ask, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I um, be there for you, but not overzealous as we'll say the police? And so that, if I hadn't had good mentors transitioning into private sector, I don't think I would have been as successful. I listened, I paid attention, I took a holistic approach to whether it be marketing, understanding marketing, understanding the budget, understanding government, taxes, and all of those things that are really important in private sector that I paid no attention to as a city employee or as a law enforcement in, a, in the second largest police department in the, in the U.S. So that was the turning point for me, like, whoa, there is this whole other side that I now need to pay attention to if I'm going to be a leader in this arena. And so it started with retail and mixed use. And then I moved into a corporate security position for a global company um, where we did um, work in Africa, several different countries in Africa, Canada. So I had to learn to be a risk manager globally in that role. Wow. Um, I worked in hospitality. I, I get recruited to a lot of these roles because of my background. And when I worked in hospitality, you talk about how many beds you have. How do you how do you bring the Ritz Carlton brand to everything that you do? And I learned that from the hospitality industry. And all of that, many years of experience policing public sector private sector, then moving into the higher education policing, I was able to use all those different things because a lot of times on a, on a college campus, you have retail, you have retail and you have beds, housing. So all of those unique things throughout my career of managing those certain industries came to fruition when I returned to policing in higher education. It was like, I, if I, I could not have planned it better, Marisa. I could not have said, oh, I think I'll do a stint over here and a stint over here right. and I'll end up here. I believe that, you know, um, that you have a path and if you follow it, sometimes it takes you down another road and oftentimes you, it was meant to be. Yeah. Well, I love that you have landed in, in just the place that, that you need to be, but, but could not have predicted the path that got you there in the first place and all the Absolutely. different experiences you, you collected along the way. And I'm going to put that in the book. Good. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Uh, you mentioned just a moment ago about having mentors. Um, is this something that you do actively yourself? Do you, do you, do you look to mentor? Do you, um, d tell me about your approach to that. Well, I can tell you, I am a member of the National Association of Women Law Enforcement Leaders, NOLI, 
It's a, I just attended the 27th annual conference and Nolly is all about mentoring. And I have been doing it throughout my career, but now I've kind of formalized it as a Nolly member. Um, and when I attended our conference, our annual conference in last month, um, we talked a lot about mentoring and I did it throughout my career, but I never really formalized it. And so I look back at at young folks that came, became my team members who still keep in contact with me. I know how many children they have because I worked in Chicago, Washington, Virginia, Maryland, and now Mississippi. I've had a really cool opportunity to mentor folks in all of these different areas of the United States and then not only mentor them and kind of develop their career path, but then remain friends with them as a mentor throughout their life, even for their personal affairs. So that has been a really rewarding part of my career. You know, I say to young girls when I, on campus when I'm walking around and they say, oh, are you a police officer? I said, actually, I'm the boss. I'm the chief. Yes. And they say, I want to be a chief, too. I say to them, you see me, you can be me. Oh, and then Great they're like, phrase. Uh, they say, can I take your picture? Of course you can. So that's the kind of cool thing that I know they can be me. I know that they can do it. And if they just get with mentors like I had, and now that I mentor, they can do it. I love that phrase. You see me, you can be me. That is fantastic. I want to touch on quickly, um, just a little bit about the, we talked about kind of the, the a day in the life for you um, and and all the different aspects of security that you provide right now in your current position and how it's drawn on on your experience. From your vantage point as chief and also as executive director of public safety, what are you seeing in terms of the threat landscape right now and, and compared to other times in, in your career? To be perfectly honest, it's frightening. These mass shootings that are happening across the states daily, it's frightening. And you know more than anyone, managing threats is extremely important to me. Using technology to manage threats, to get ahead of the threat. And so I've learned throughout my career, especially in higher ed and having worked in Virginia, you know, after the um, Virginia Tech shooting in 2007, in 2008, um, the Virginia legislation put into law that you must have a behavioral threat assessment team if you are in education. When I came down to Mississippi, they weren't familiar with that. They're getting on board now. And I've partnered with the IHL, the Institute of Higher Learning here in Mississippi, to talk about behavioral threat assessment. We as an institution and as a nation have to understand what, what the pathway to violence looks like. And how do we get ahead of that? So I'm using technology and training to my team is is really, really ramped up on behavioral threat assessment. We complete several of them every week. Um, and that's how we manage what the risk is to our institution. And the most important thing in the institution is the human factor. Though the assets are the people that work here and that are our visitors. And that's what we need to manage. And it's really, really difficult in today's landscape. Um, it, it, so you're preaching to the choir around the importance of, of behavioral threat assessment. But you, as you were just talking about that, it's the people, sort of your human capital. Tell me a bit about how um, 
how do you how do you look after your own team within your department to uh, you and I've talked about this about kind of support generally but tell me a bit about um what you do with your own team to support them in, in all of this work that they do well they are the most important thing is the whole being so if they're not healthy and happy at home and outside of work they're not going to be productive at work we manage we call it a life work balance with our team. So my officers work three twelves and then they're off for three. They oh, love it. They nice. never want to change from that. Nice. So they get that rest and we don't force overtime on our staff. A lot of cities and municipalities have forced overtime where, where officers aren't getting any days off. That's not healthy. Whatever we have to do, if command staff has to pull shifts, we pull shifts so that our officers get the rest that they need. They need it mentally. Their families need them. They need their families. They need their loved ones. Even if they have pets, they need to be with their pets. Yeah. So we are cognizant of it. We also talk about it. We ask them, how are you doing? What's going on? Open door policy. The other thing is we talk about their their mental health, their well-being. We have all really cool programs that we participate in with um, weightlifting, on-the-job exercising. We do all kinds of great things right here on our campus, and we talk about it as a, as a team and what's healthy and what are we doing. And then we have a bike unit. We have opportunities. I call it exercise when you're at work. Yeah. You know, you can do a walking post, things that you get out. And, and the community loves that. The students love to see the officers and talk with them. And so we manage that. But we also do mental health managing and career development from the top down. Um, recently, when I went to the Nolly conference, we offered an opportunity to our employees to all write an essay if they wanted to go to the Nolly conference with the chief for four days in Houston. Oh, neat. So our whole, te- our whole team could write an essay, and several of them did. So not to be biased, we transferred all the essays over to the Office of Wellbeing which is an, is an office here at UMMC. We asked them to read and choose the best essay for who should attend the conference with the chief of police. Well, it ended up Cassandra Porter, who is one of my dispatchers. Um, Cassandra has a master's degree. She's been here for many, many years. She's a very, very intricate part of her team, wrote an outstanding article. We spent four days in Houston. She said it was the best trip of her life. Um, and so it's a, it was a really cool thing, but also to show our team, you know, everybody has an opportunity for career development here. It doesn't, it's not just the leadership team, it's the sergeants, it's the patrolmen, it's the security officers, it's my dispatchers, my behavioral threat assessment techs. Everybody has an opportunity for growth here. Oh my gosh, that is that is amazing. Uh, just the, the level of care, the the comprehensive nature with which that you are leading, and 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 sounds like it, everyone is looking out for each other on your team. The fact that command staff are, are willing to do shifts uh, that you've got a, a three twelve, I mean you have three twelve hour shifts a week, and and that means that your staff have reliable 
time home with their family, time to do other things that they need to do, time to be with their pets, time to time to be available and be present for their kids. It, it is um, it's so admirable, and and I I feel like it is a wonderful model that so many other departments and organizations, law enforcement, security, private sector, anything could could really um, take a page from your book and and support their employees that way. So I'm 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 very impressed with the work that you're doing there. Well, it's rewarding though. Uh, Marisa, when I came down, I, Mississippi, you're going to Mississippi. The opportunities down here are outstanding. I am applying for grants. We're getting grants like you would not believe. We're get, I just put in for a grant for recruitment and retention, $175,000. Um, we put in a grant for accreditation. So we're writing grants. We're teaching our team how to write grants. And we have a grant office because we do a lot of research here at UMMC. So we're tapping into our grant office to help us. And that is also part of the career development phase. So we're reaching out for not only funds from the state, but these grants that are available to police departments and just putting the effort towards it and also learning as a team on how to get the grants and how to manage the grants. So we're every day I call it, I come to work the happiest of my entire career. Ah coming in and knowing that I have this hungry team to continue to learn. Oh my gosh, that's so inspiring. I love that. I want to ask you as, as we as we wrap up here, it, it, our focus for for this podcast has been really to showcase uh, the wide range of jobs within law enforcement and security and protection that women have undertaken and to also seek advice from all of our guests on for women and and girls who may be considering careers or haven't even given consideration to careers within law enforcement security and protection i would love to hear your thoughts and your guidance for women and and girls out there about coming into our field well i'm not looking just for uh, as i call them cjs criminal justice majors or people that want to be criminal justice majors. I'm looking at a more holistic department, a apartment with diversity, but also unique backgrounds. You know, I, when I look at, and females ask me, what do you think about it? I said, when I go to work, every day is different. I like that excitement. I like that catching the pulse. And, and folks will say to me, oh, so did you go because you wanted to help people? I don't want to say that that was why I wanted to go into law enforcement. I thought it was pretty cool and being the fourth generation. But nowadays, as a leader in law enforcement, I like uniqueness, different backgrounds. Um, I, you know, I have um, one of my captains is at the Post Naval Grad, a female captain oh. that works for me. She's at the Post Naval Grad um, Academy out in um, California. Um, so I see it as an opportunity to maybe not be a criminal justice major, maybe you're a marketing major, or you're going to help me with our social media, getting our brand out to folks. But you want to be a police officer too. So when I talk to people, you don't have to be a criminal justice major. I'm interested in all different backgrounds that make my team unique. So I'm, I'm honest when I talk to people where they say, chief, will you mentor me? I will mentor you. And it's okay if you don't become a police officer. If yeah. I just mentor you and we become friends, that's a win. So when I look at how do I get people to come into law enforcement, I tell the truth. I tell the real story. This is what was my career, whether it be, you know, walking the beat in Chicago, 
um, whether it be the public safety director at Tyson's Corner Center in, you know, McLean, Virginia. Um, talk about having retail surrounding you, every store you could ever want, 350 of them. Um, and so whether it be at the Willard Intercontinental in Washington, D.C., I had all these different opportunities. And it doesn't have to be with just one department. You can spread your wings across America and work in all these different fields that are kind of around safety and security. So if you've, anyone looks at me, they can't say, well, I initially thought I'd do my 30 years in Chicago and retire. And the world gave me lemons and I cannot stop making lemonade. <laughs> Nor should you stop, Mike. Uh, you've really taken all these opportunities and life changes. Uh, you know, a, a move to D.C. Um, with your husband and expecting to be there for a short period of time and then really creating phenomenal opportunity after opportunity for yourself when you were there longer than expected to, to now that you're know, really seizing this incredible opportunity in, in Mississippi and, and all the stops in between. It's, um, it is it is a, an incredible and very impressive career to, to hear about. And I love that you didn't know where you'd end up when you started. And this was not the fulfillment of your lifelong plan. But I mean, my gosh, what a what a remarkable and impressive career so far. And I can't wait to see what you continue to do. Let me just ask one more question. Um, any particular resources that you would direct women or girls to from a mentoring standpoint for law enforcement, at associations, anything like that, that they should look into? Well, I'm a big fan of NOLI, um, the National Association of Women and law, law Enforcement Executives. That's a great program. Um, they offer scholarships. So if someone's interested in that, um, I'm also a member of the 30 by 30 initiative. Um, so I made a pledge a year ago to ensure that 30% of my police department will be women by the year 2030. And I am oh. proud to announce I'm at 37% of sworn law enforcement being oh. females. The national average oh, wow. is 12%. So we are kicking it down here in the SIP. That is fantastic. Congratulations. That is a huge accomplishment. And please, Dr. Rendezzo, share my information. You know I'm willing to help anyone locally or across the U.S., even globally. Right. And you're on LinkedIn? Yes, ma'am. Fantastic. All right. So so I want to encourage those of you listening, if you want to reach out to Chief Parody at all, um, I can tell you from personal experience, she is incredibly open to outreach and questions and um, helping connect you with the right resources and, and mentorship opportunities, et cetera. So um, uh, Chief, I can't thank you enough for, for joining me on Women Who Protect. And just as I started to sit at the top of our time together, it was such a personal pleasure for me to have a chance to talk with you in, in this format and to learn so much about you that I didn't know until today. So thank you so much for joining me. Please don't hesitate to look me up on LinkedIn. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Connected Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Roll the Dice and was written by Mark Wallach. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.co or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. 
I'm Dr. Marisa Randazzo. Thanks for listening.